Well, as I said, this is a part of a, an ongoing series. We've done 10 sermons in it already. Um, for the sake of time, I'm not going to attempt to do any sort of recap of all that. Um, but if you want to be really keen and you miss stuff, I think all but one of those 10 sermons are on the church website. So that's your homework for the week. Um, but as I say, I'll get straight down to it. Last time we uh, were in Zechariah was about, about a year ago. And we looked at just the last two verses of chapter 6. Uh, this time, we're going to cover the whole of chapter 7. Now, don't panic. This, this isn't going to be a five-hour sermon. Uh, the, the reason for the, uh, the, the change in approach is that we've now reached the second section of the book and there's a real change in style between the first and second section so much so that liberal theologians insist that someone else must have started writing at this point uh, there must be a, a new author kicking in here and of course the reality is that Zechariah simply wrote uh, the word of God as he received it from the Lord. So when the Lord gave him all those strange visions in the uh, course of one night, Zechariah wrote down what he saw. And when the Lord gave a plain answer to a direct question, Zechariah wrote that down. Well, we have such a plain answer uh, to a direct question here in chapter 7. So in, in verse 1, Zechariah tells us, in the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Chislev. So the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, and as we've seen previously in the book, it's accurately dated. Uh, this was a, an historic reality. This is something that took place in this moment in time. So that set the scene in terms of time. Uh, but remember that those eight visions and the subsequent word from the Lord that all took place in the course of one night, uh, that was back in the 11th month of the second year of King Darius. So we've now moved on about two years since then. And in Ezekiel 6 verse, um, verse 15, we're told there that the rebuilding of the temple was completed in the sixth year uh, of King Darius. So this point, um, two years on, is roughly halfway between the beginning of the rebuilding of the temple and its completion. So at this time, although it would have been still something of a building site, uh, there would have been something to see. It would have been taking shape. Uh, word would have been spreading around about it and there would have been plenty of plenty for the chattering classes to chatter about that's the context in which this chapter set well then in verses uh, two and three the, the scene is set in terms of, of what was happening um, we read there now the people of Beth of Bethel had sent Shariza and Regamelech and their men to entreat the favour of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, should we weep and abstain in the fifth month 
as I have done for so many years. So some people had come from, from Bethel with a request that they had a question that they wanted to have answered. How could Zechariah answer their question? Well, he went on to say in verse 4, Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me. So Zechariah was able to answer their question according to the word of the Lord that came to him. Perhaps surprisingly, it will become apparent that his word took the, play, the, uh, took the form of a, of a rebuke. You know, to further enable Zechariah to answer the question, uh, we then see in verse 8 um, that Zechariah again said, Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me. And that word, it included both requirements and a reminder. So we're going to look at this passage under four headings, uh, the request, the rebuke, the requirement, and the reminder. So first of all, the request. Uh, we see that in verses uh, 2 to 3. We see who made the request and what that request was. Who made it? Well, people of Bethel had sent Shereza and Rechimelech and their men. Now, Bethel was a, a town about 12 miles to the north of Jerusalem. And the people who had settled there after the exile sent this delegation. Why did they do that? Well, it says uh, it was to entreat the favour of the Lord, saying to the priests of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets. Or the NIV has to entreat the Lord by asking the priests of the house of the Lord Almighty and the prophets. So the people of Bethel had this question. Uh, possibly it was prompted because the building of the temple was progressing so well and completion was, was coming into sight. And they wanted to know the mind of the Lord on this matter. So they sent this delegation to Jerusalem because that's where the priests and the prophets were. They, they wanted to do it by asking his priests and prophets and that really gives the impression that they must have been very godly they must have had very godly motives you know, they didn't want to follow their own wisdom they didn't want to do their own thing they wanted to find out what the Lord wanted and that sounds really commendable doesn't it that sounds great that sounds like excellent advice that you could give to anyone what was their request well what was the question? We see that at the end of verse 3. Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? Or the NIV has, should I mourn and fast in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? So this was a question about a yearly fast. Should it continue to be observed? Why did that question arise? What, what was this fast in, in the fifth month? Well, actually, it was a, one of a series of fasts that they'd kept all the time throughout the captivity. Uh, this, this fast uh, in the fifth month uh, was to do with what we read in 2 Kings 25, 8 to 9. In the fifth month of the seventh day of the month, that was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the bodyguard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every great house he burned down and all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls 
around Jerusalem. So this fast, uh, it was held while they were in captivity uh, to remember the burning of the temple, the destruction uh, of Jerusalem, and it was held to, to mourn and grieve over uh, that, that destruction. So, so now the rebuilt temple uh, was nearing completion. You know, the question arose in their minds, will we need to continue with this fast? And that appears to be a perfectly sound, sensible, serious, sincere question to ask, doesn't it? And they were surely going about it in the right way uh, in coming and asking the Lord to tell them. What reply did they get? Um, it must have come as quite a shock to them because instead of a, a straightforward, yes, carry on, or no, you don't need to do that anymore, they actually received the rebuke and we see that in verses four to seven uh, begins then the word of the lord of hosts came to me say to all the people of the land and the priests so the word of the lord came to zechariah and he was to uh, and it was to tell him what he was to say in response to the question uh, that the delegation brought but notice he wasn't only to direct this to the delegation the lord uh, told zechariah to say it to all the people, including the very priests that the delegation had come to ask. So everyone needed to know what the Lord had to say uh, in response to that question. What was Zechariah to say? Well, contrary to what you might expect, he, he didn't say, um, well done for asking such an astute question or well done for coming to the temple in Jerusalem you, you've done the right thing there no he, uh, the answer was, actually came in the form of three more questions and they were very pointed questions it, in many ways this reminds me of the way in which Jesus often replied when people came to him with questions you know, he often seems to completely miss the point didn't he you know, people would come with a clear question and Jesus said something that seemed to be quite different. Uh, or, you know, you think of the, uh, the rich young ruler who, who said, uh, good master, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' instant response was, why did you call me good? And that, of course, led on to a whole, uh, whole conversation. Well, why did Jesus do that? Well, more often than not, it, it was in order to show the reality that lay behind the, the question the reality that lay behind an apparently simple innocent question but he was stripping away the facade revealing the true motives that lay behind it he was wanting to address the really important issues and I think that's why the Lord responded in that way here you know it, he was concerned about something more than a fast so what were the three questions that Zechariah uh, was told to ask well firstly in verse 5 when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month, in the seventh year for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? Now the question had been about the fast in the fifth month, but you notice the Lord also mentioned the fast in the seventh month. Um, what was that all about? Well, we find in two Kings 25, 22, 25, you, you see what that was about, but I won't read it now because it's fairly long. But that fast in the seventh month was to commemorate the assassination of the governor of 
Jerusalem. So the Lord was saying, why are you only asking me about the, the fast in the fifth month? What about the one in the seventh month? And for that matter, he could have gone on to say, and what about the one in, in, the, uh, in, in, in the fourth month? Well, that was held to commemorate the breach of the walls of Jerusalem, as recorded in 2 Kings 25. Or, or what about the one in the tenth month? That was uh, to commemorate the beginning of the siege of Jerusalem. Again, you read about that in 2 Kings 25. In effect, the Lord was saying, you have all these fasts. Your calendar is full of fasts. You've diligently observed them for 70 years. But do you really think that's all been for me? Do you really think that has been pleasing to me? Do you really think that's what I want? Is that what you think I wanted from you? And of course, that's a rhetorical question, and the answers are, are resounding no. You see, firstly, that they weren't doing it for him because they weren't fast that the Lord required. According to the Mosaic law, there was only one fast a year that they were required to keep, and that was on the Day of Atonement. And that was for them to, to recognise their sin, to grieve over their sin, to express their sorrow for it, uh, and to, to show their, their need for atonement to be made for their sin. Now, the, fa the faster delegation was, was talking about, uh, they were concerned about a fast that, well, they'd made it up for themselves. And there was no attitude of, repentance or, or godly sorrow in, in all of that they were made to show their sadness that their, their temple had been destroyed and their prosperity had gone uh, but the Lord didn't want them to grieve over their losses rather he wanted them to grieve over their sin that had caused those losses so you see they were completely missing the point these fasts were of their own devising and they kept them for their own ends. And as tends to be the case with, with all man-made rituals uh, and rites and observances, it led to pride. I think you, that's hinted at, isn't it, in the way they put the question. Should I weep and abstain in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? Y you can feel the pride oozing out of them, can't you? you haven't we been good? We've stuck at it. Um, it sounds very much like uh, the Pharisee in, in Luke 18, 11 to 12. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. You see, Phariseeism was alive and kicking long before the Pharisees ever arrived on the scene. Uh, and it's continues still doesn't it plenty today religiously maintain their man-made observances uh, and foolishly think that the Lord must be pleased with them because they're so faithful at it that they're so so steadfast at doing these things they pat themselves on the back but the Lord says you don't really think I'm impressed do you you surely don't think you're doing this for me do you as the delegation came with their question, you know, I wonder what answer they'd hoped to receive. 
do you think they wanted to hear no don't keep the cast anymore uh, the fast anymore it isn't necessary or yes carry on keep up the good work and I strongly suspect they wanted to hear yes you've been doing great carry on because that's what human nature is like isn't it if, if, if we're told that we can do something and earn something that that appeals because we can feel pleased with ourselves if we manage to do it so I, I reckon they would have hoped for a pat on the back and told to keep up the good work but what they were actually told was that 70 years worth of diligent fast keeping all added up to nothing it counted for nothing it's very much like um, Isaiah's comment isn't it in Isaiah about our righteousness is being as filthy rags well keeping this fast was a righteousness that they thought that they were managing to, to conjure up but it counted for nothing they maintained this outward show of religion but they were utterly self-centered it was all for themselves the second um, question that, that uh, No, no, sorry, I mean, the Lord doesn't want to hear, shall we carry on fasting? What the Lord wants to hear is, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And then the second question is there in verse 6, and when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? I think the point of this question seems to be uh, that it was to make it clear that it wasn't only their fasting that, that didn't please the Lord. Yeah, they'd come with a question about fasting but what the Lord is saying here is and for that matter your feasting is no better neither your fasting nor your feasting uh, it is pleasing to me the fact was that their eating and drinking was also for themselves nothing about the feasts or the fasts pleased the Lord because it was for themselves they made this outward show but they were self-centered it was for themselves and the third question is there in verse 7 were not these the words of the Lord proclaimed by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and prosperous with her cities around her uh, and the south and the lowland were inhabited in many ways I think this is the pinnacle of the three uh, uh, of the Lord's rebuke to them you know, he's saying you've not heeded my word you've not listened to a word I've said what I'm having to say to you now is exactly the same as, as I said to your forefathers through the earlier prophets before the captivity back in the days when Jerusalem and the surrounding land was prosperous you know, this is what I said to them then you know, I sent them my word and they ignored it it's already been said in, back in chapter 1 of Zechariah verse 4 do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out thus says the Lord of hosts return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds but they did not hear or pay attention to me declares the Lord and the fall of Jerusalem the destruction of the temple the captivity all came about because they'd refused to listen and now the Lord is saying even though you've seen all that even though you've experienced uh, the, the whole 
being in captivity thing, um, you're still not keeping my word any better than your forefathers did. You're wallowing in self-pity over the prosperity you lost rather than confessing the sin that caused it. That's the Lord's rebuke to them. Their forefathers had no excuse. Now they certainly had no excuse. If the forefathers were inexcusable, now after the captivity, they had even less excuse. But they were no different from their forefathers. Well, so much for what the Lord didn't want. But what, what did he want? Well, that's what we see in verses 8 to 10, where we find the requirements. Uh, in those verses, uh, we read, And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts. So the word of the Lord came again, and that word outlined what Zechariah was to say that the Lord required of them. So in verses 9 to 10, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another, do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against uh, another in your heart. In summary, there are three positive requirements there. Render true judgments to one another. Show kindness to one another. And show mercy to one another. You notice there's no mention of fasting. No mention of feasting. No mention of observing festivals. Rather, notice the requirements all involved one another. The fact is that the Lord is not concerned about rituals but relationships um, and he's not concerned about religious rights but righteousness so he speaks of true judgments kindness mercy first thing he requires then is to render true judgments to one another or the NIV puts that as administer true justice the word true there really means unbiased it means to not um, not show favoritism not not to prejudge not not to jump to conclusions you weigh the evidence with with scrupulous fairness don't be swayed by by gossip or, or hearsay don't be quick to condemn or criticize it's to be characterized by impartiality and that's a theme that's very strong in the letter of James, isn't it? Now, sometimes, if you um, judge fairly and impartially, you can't arrive at a, a clear conclusion. You know, any football fan, that even VAR, can be inconclusive. If so, you must give the benefit of the doubts. You must be quick to think the best you see the similar idea in, in, in verse 9 here let none of you devise evil against another in your hearts or the NIV has in your hearts do not think evil of each other you know, the idea is not to be predisposed to, to think badly of your brothers and sisters don't be quick to think the worst rather be eager to think well of them it's not to say that we are to naively think that no brother is ever going to do us wrong uh, or that no brother is going to do us 
some sort of, of injustice and how does righteousness in our relationships work out uh, in terms of the brother who has wronged us or who, ha uh, who is undeserving if you like of our kindness well the second thing that the Lord requires us to do is to show kindness to one another the NIV has mercy and I think that captures the sense better here you, you can only show mercy to someone who's wronged you can't you you know, if, if, if somebody gives you a wonderful present, you don't turn around to them and say, I show you mercy. <laughs> it just doesn't work, does it? Mercy is something that you give to someone who is undeserving. So that's the way in which we are to respond to a, a brother or sister who doesn't deserve our mercy. We're to show that mercy. We're to offer forgiveness you remember the question that Peter asked in, in Matthew 18 21 uh, that then Peter came to Jesus and asked Lord how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me up to seven times and I, you know, Peter must have thought he was being really magnanimous there uh, and the reply from Jesus of course was I, I tell you not seven times but 77 and of course that's not a, a fixed limit uh, on the number of times we're to forgive someone it was Jesus' way of saying that you should always be ready to forgive repeatedly if need be. So don't be quick to think you've been wronged. And even when you know for sure that you have been wronged, oh, sorry, that came out a bit loud. <laughs> even when you're sure that you have been, uh, been wronged, you're to be ready to forgive, to show mercy and be ready to forgive. Well, the third thing, that the Lord requires us to do is show mercy to one another according to the ESV. The NIV has compassion uh, and once again I think the NIV captures the sense better there. Uh, we're not only to show kindness to those who are undeserving, we're also to show it to those who are weak, those who are vulnerable. If we show compassion will do as the Lord requires of us in verse, uh, verse 10 there where he says do not oppress the widow the fatherless the sojourner or the poor you know, these are those who are weak helpless disadvantaged if we show compassion we won't be among those who oppress them or, or take advantage of them we'll help we'll support we'll ease the burden for them that's what the Lord expects of us because he's the God of all compassion you know, how often do we read in the gospels of Jesus being moved with compassion and then we read in verse 10 and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart well, the NIV has in your hearts do not think evil of each other now those two versions may seem to be saying different things what one speaks of devising evil uh, and the other speaks of thinking evil there seems to be different things but the fact is that the Hebrew word can be taken in either of those two senses so it could refer to, to planning bad things against your brother or, or it could be referring to, to thinking bad things about your brother thinking badly of them looking down upon them having a low opinion of them 
Um, I don't know which is the, the better translation there, but whichever way you take it, the crucial point is in your hearts. The Lord doesn't look for outward observance of, of rituals. He looks upon the heart. He looks on our hearts and he wants to see hearts that are working out righteous relationships. He wants to see hearts that rather than thinking evil or planning evil uh, against our, our brothers are disposed towards true justice, mercy and compassion. And those uh, requirements, they have an amazingly New Testament feel to them, don't they? It's exactly the sort of thing that Jesus said and did. It's exactly the sort of thing that we read of so often in the epistles about how we're to, to relate to one another. But the Lord said it here through Zechariah. And that in turn was a, a repeat of what he'd said through the former prophets. So the Lord's never required mere outward observance. He's always wanted to see a right state of heart, evidenced by relationships that reflect the way in which he relates to us with true justice, mercy and compassion. And of course we see that preeminently, don't we, in his sending Jesus to die for sinners. Well, that was the requirement. But finally, to... Um, drive home the importance of these requirements we see that there was the reminder reminder of what yeah, uh, reminder of what the result had been when the Lord had made these requirements clear through the former prophets those requirements had been met with a, a refusal uh, as we see in verses 11 to 13 but they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear they made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words of the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts, as I called and they would not hear, so they called and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. These requirements have been spelt out by the Holy Spirit through the prophets uh, just as an example, look at Micah 6, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's the message they'd heard. And how had they responded to that requirement? Well, it, it wasn't that they misunderstood it. it. It wasn't that they hadn't been told clearly enough it wasn't that they'd they'd tried but failed no they refused to pay attention they defiantly turned their backs they deliberately stopped their ears so they would not hear they didn't want to know and it is summed up by the words in our passage they made their hearts diamond hard it's that word heart again isn't it that's what the Lord is concerned about. He wants to see hearts that judge fairly, show mercy and compassion. Hearts not like that are hearts that are hard towards the Lord. They're the hearts of those who refuse to listen to him. And it's not just that their hearts happen to be hard hearts. You know, it's not that they could say, well, I'd really like to hear and obey, 
but I've just got a hard heart. You know, I was born like that, sorry, but no, they had no excuse that they'd made their hearts, that their hearts hard. And it's not just that they'd made their hearts hard. You see, they'd, they'd made it very hard, so much that uh, it's described as being diamond hard. They deliberately made their hearts diamond hard, not quite hard, hard as diamonds, extreme hardness. And the point of these uh, words through Zechariah is that he was now bringing exactly the same requirements from the Lord as the former prophets had brought to their forefathers. They had made their hearts hard as diamonds. And the question now was, what would the current generation do? Would they repeat the mistake of their forefathers? Well, the, finally, the need to not be like their forefathers it is driven home by the reminder that hard hearts led to terrible results. What, what results? Well, it makes quite chilling reading. Look at verse 12 there. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. Look at verse 14. The Lord said, And I scatter them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate, so that no one went to and fro, and the pleasant land was made desolate. He'd sent them into exile. The land was left desolate. As soon as they'd hardened their hearts against the Lord, that result was inevitable. Zechariah's message was, don't make the same mistake. They'd seen what had happened last time, so make sure you don't harden your hearts, but listen to the Lord and obey his word. Instead of being preoccupied with observing fasts and feasts, be characterised by true justice, by mercy and compassion. You can imagine the uh, delegation reeling at this, can't you? Uh, you know, they'd be thinking to themselves, well, we only asked a question about one fast, and look what's happened. Look, look, it's triggered all this. But, you know, it's not trivial. The, the, the Lord knows the human heart. Uh, and he knows that preoccupation with outward rites and ceremonies reveals a failure to, to heed his word, to really get it, to, to do what he really wants. And we need to learn that lesson because we can be predisposed towards similar sorts of things can't we we can be taken up with the so-called christian calendar traditional christian festivals church anniversaries you know it could be that date in the diary that we look forward to and it it means more than it should it we blow these things out of proportion What the Lord requires is for us to administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. That's what Paul said, uh, well, what Paul exhorted in, in Colossians 3, 12 to 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive and above all of these put on love 
which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God and whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ giving thanks to God the Father through him see how how much of what Paul says there is reflecting what we've seen uh, in Zechariah chapter 7 now Zechariah 7 ends with a, a sad reminder thus the land they left was desolate so that no one went to and fro and the pleasant land was made desolate it's a chilling observation isn't it the pleasant land was made desolate but thankfully it doesn't end there well this chapter does but <laughs> but Zechariah doesn't <laughs> it doesn't end there and next time we'll move into chapter 8 where we see how the Lord will make the desolate land pleasant so might have been a gloomy ending but we've got something more cheery to look forward to so let's um, close with our last psalm hymn or spiritual song whichever it is <laughs> hear the call of the kingdom lift your eyes to the king <laughs>